episode of the Wise Women in Waste podcast series with me, Debbie Hitchin, Director of Sustainable Production and Consumption, and Claudia Amos, Technical Director for Circularity, Resource Efficiency and Waste at Anthesis. If you've joined us previously for other episodes, you'll know that we're delighted to be able to welcome some external guests to our most recent series. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome today Councillor Donna Stimson from the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead. In a moment, I'm going to ask Donna to introduce herself and you'll see very quickly why we've invited her along to have a conversation with us today. She follows the suite of discussions that we've been having with other colleagues brilliantly because we've been looking at initiatives that have been driving waste and resource efficiency and circularity through lenses of women who inspire us and who've had incredible career journeys. What you'll see as we get into our discussion with Donna is that she has a fabulous experience and wealth of opportunity to share that with us from the grassroots to the local political scene and really excited to get into some of the conversations with you Donna about how sustainability, resource efficiency and circularity have played out in the various roles that you've had throughout your career. So perhaps this would be a great opportunity for me to invite you to introduce yourself and to tell us a little bit about that journey. Thank you, Debbie and Claudia. It's wonderful to be here and to talk about my passion for sustainability and for waste. I am passionate about waste, waste of all kinds. i deplore it, particularly intellectual waste. And I I find it so incredible that we throw away so much. It's always been an issue for me. I come from South Africa. I left there when I was 30. And it's a country I think that has always found waste an issue. Large parts of it are quite poor. And yeah, waste is something that um, the natural capital has had to deal with for a long time. So I started my journey um, really aware of it when I studied social anthropology at the University of Cape Town. I also studied economics and psychology, and then I worked as a management consultant in large-scale globalization projects and studied organizational culture as well with an MBA. I then began, after about 10 years, my second career, which was as a builder, and I'm I'm now in my third career as a counsellor for the Royal Borough of Windsor Maidenhead, and I'm on Cabinet for Climate Change and Sustainability, Parks and Countryside. And I've always been quite parsimonious, actually. I don't accumulate junk, but I absolutely upcycle and repurpose. And I mean, this is where I think we just need to be so careful before we buy, before we accumulate anything in every single area that we work in. We need to think about it. So, yeah, I'm completely passionate about it and I look forward to this discussion and seeing where it goes and how we can change policy from the little things that we do in the council to the big things that we do in the government. And I'm just one small cog. We have 343 councils around just England alone. So I am very small in the context of things, but I think every single one of us can make a difference. I love that. And I think that's uh, that's why we really appreciate your perspective today, because we have been talking about, if you want big policy, we are talking about the regulations driving environmental change, um, how that impacts businesses, how that impacts how we work, the advice we give. But in the end, we always have to rely on behavior change, people taking part, for example, Recycling rates will only go up if every one of us actually recycles their waste in the right way. 
to really have a circular economy and get the resources back. So it's not just taking part, it's also doing it in the right way, within the right system. So we really preserve the resources, the materials. And I think it would be super interesting to get your view. How does it look from the grassroots or how does it look from a, from a council perspective? Yeah, sure. So we know from Grantham Institute that over 60% of getting to net zero is around behavioural change. And uh, that has to happen in every household, in every street. And that has obviously got to be driven by the, the local people. This is where the local authorities can play a big role. It has to be helped by national policy. But, uh, you know, what incentivizes someone in their household to change? No one said this was going to be an easy thing. It's pretty hard. You know, why should I stop using cling film? What's the incentive to use the beeswax wrap? How do I get hold of it? How do I make it? Um, and then why should I separate my garbage? Why should I recompost my food? I mean, these are just tiny things. I think we make something like 30,000 subconscious decisions every day or unconscious ones. How do we, a lot of those are environmental ones. You know, I've had quite a big battle trying to get us to um, move from weekly to bi-weekly residual waste. And a lot of councils now are doing every three weeks with residual waste. This is something that, you know, we we, we battle with on a, a daily basis. And I think it's one thing for the government to force the change down, but it's another for us to try and start to influence. You know, how do we get schools to teach the kids? Some of the ki our kids are teaching their parents, and we've just put a video out where the kids have been teaching the parents. But there's no way of forcing. A lot of it is around a carrot versus a stick. In some instances, there's quite a lot of eco-anxiety. We don't want to scare kids. We want to say, come with us on this journey. And every one of us can make a difference. But, you know, there's so many different aspects to sustainability in a council. You know, the waste is one thing. But then, um, you know, there's planning. And then how do I uh, change the way that we repurpose our houses? <laughs> you know, how do we make sure? And this is each different council. I don't know if you realize this, but every council can determine its own policy to a certain extent. So we put a policy in place that says 100% of our new homes and, and properties over a certain size are going to have to have their EV charges in place, either passively or actively. You know, but that's just one council and lots are doing it. Yep. I mean, there is so much that needs to happen in order for us to get to net zero. I mean, there's just a huge battle that we've got on our hands. Absolutely. And I think I love the idea of also kind of like grown up politics and, and children and the young generation, because I think they already have had a humongous impact. And I think a lot of people are don't referring to the recycling police at home because they get told off by their children <laughs> that things don't land in the right bill and also don't buy this. Like, for example, the movement against uh, plastic toys with magazines and things like that. I mean, we've been complaining about that for, for years and years. Years. And now the children themselves say, I don't want a plastic toy. I don't want a plastic gadget just because I'm taking part or because I'm doing a charity event. And I think that is a super strong movement and really important. But as you said, it also needs to be supported by the 
by the big politics and on the weekly collection i think people don't realize how much difference a three weekly collection made because for example when wales looked at their new collection blueprint they could evidence that the biggest impact was basically the residual bin collection frequency change for reducing residual waste which was a, a huge factor and that's again where we need maybe the big picture and the big policy and the big organizations collecting that data to show the impact people can have and i don't know if that also get some some buy-in if people get the confirmation that they're doing the right thing and get get the benefits from that because there's big things happening like COP26 and others where it seems to be slightly removed from daily life but it isn't really is it? No not at all and you have to bring your residents along and when I became a councillor I had two officers involved and we had a climate emergency declaration but we needed a strategy and um, I had no experience of being a councillor before, but I had lots of experience of being a management consultant. So I brought in 80 people from the, all the residents, from people who are very green, fortunately, to housing developers. And I put them all in a room for several sessions and we came up with our climate strategy. Now, uh, we have no money to put a set aside because um, our council tax is very low. But it didn't matter. We came up with a stronger strategy as we could deal with. It went out to public consultation. It was approved by everyone on, on council and went through cabinet. And there it sits, uh, you know, ready for implementation. But uh, we need residents and businesses and everyone to, to help us. And they are ready and willing. And it's so exciting to see how residents want to help with this. So Together Women has put together a co-op and um, I was one of the early signers up to it. We've just opened our first zero waste shop and it is awesome. I tell you, it's got everything that you need for zero waste. We've got a repair cafe starting out and these are all residents initiatives. And you, you find that the kids are so beyond recycling. They do not want to learn about recycling anymore. They know everything. They now want to know about retrofitting and they want to know about heat pumps. <laughs> These kids are really on top of their game. It's wonderful. What we really need is to be brave and to do things like have, you know, cooperatives around energy in our borough. <laughs> Because, you know, that's where we, we're heading for now. What I think is really interesting in what you're describing, Donna, is, is a real life example of where circular economy is enriching a society and how that's being empowered by the local political environment, but driven by the local population and, and from the grassroots up. And I'm kind of very encouraged by this conversation we're having about it being, you know, the younger generations that are going to take this forward. Can you tell us a bit more about what's in the zero waste shop? I'm fascinated about that. Well, what isn't? Uh, so um, they're applying for an alcohol license at the moment, but there's everything. So uh, you take along all your empty containers and you can buy spices, you can buy pastas, you can buy flour, you can buy herbs, you could buy the washing powder, uh, anything, I mean, everything is there. Yeah, no, there's one in Bristol as well. There's kind of like, you know, with cosmetics and everything, and it's expanding and expanding. I think what I also find really encouraging, there's one near me was set up by a lady, I think, who got unemployed during COVID time, and she basically made the big step at that time to open up a shop and has grown from a little corner, kind of like an ex-little charity shop, 
into a proper mini supermarket because it has been used and it really hit a vibe and more and more people used it more and more people were asking for goods kind of like refillable milk container there's now a dairy in in the southwest of england that provides those dairy containers for for fill up and it's just lovely lovely to see a thriving business that is setting an example yeah, we've got a WhatsApp, the, those of us who are shareholders in it. And so we just say, you know, someone said the other day, do you think we should really have this fudge? And someone else said, listen, I cut it up into quarter pieces and I have one every day. And I, I think every now and then we could have a treat. But it's made from, it's okay to treat yourself every now and then if it's all made from goodness. I mean, it is extraordinary and it is zero waste. I think that's the important thing. It's not hardship. It's actually a really nice shop to shop in. It's not where you are no. kind of like reducing pleasure. It's just really kind of like combining consumption and looking at consumption in a different way. And I think that's what I really like. It's not like, you know, kind of, I'm not allowed to have that. For example, the kids love the shop because they got some sweets and containers you can get out and you get more than one because they normally come out in one big thing. So uh, I, I love that. It's not, it's not diminishing the experience. Oh, it is. And, and th- what is so wonderful about it, it's a woman who's a resident in my ward who came over from France and she just, she said, this is what I want to do. And, and she's done it. And this is what, I mean, this is what I love about grassroots. You have a vision, you have passion. Everything is made from old pallets, but it is beautifully made. The, the, the fabric of the shop is gorgeous. You walk in and you feel, you feel healthy at once because of the shelving and the atmosphere. I, I love that. That reminds me when I moved to the UK 25 years ago, the biggest culture shock was having to put everything in one bin because I came from Germany with at least three bins and separation and suddenly having to go back. It just felt so wrong. I remember trying to find out it was just my house or where I lived or the area because that just you had grown up in a different system and then thinking like, oh, my God. This just can't be true. I can't put everything back in a bin. We have caught up in the last 20 years, definitely. But uh, I, I remember that there was a big culture shock. It's really interesting because I started my career in local authority 20-something years ago. True. And at that time, we had a community called Wastewise Windlesham, which was a small part of Surrey. Uh, and it was led by a very passionate individual with lots of these grassroots initiatives. But it just didn't have this sort of traction that we're talking about now. It would be inconceivable when I started my career that we would have mainstream retail grocery stores that had plastic-free aisles and bulk distribution and, and bring your own container to the fish counter like we have now with Waitrose and Morrisons and, the, and these other companies. So I'm really excited that we're seeing that, albeit maybe a little slower than we would have liked, you know, coming out in a much more sort of commercialized fashion and, and growing as an industry sector. But the other thing that I really remember from my time at the local authority was the challenge that we had with getting planning. And you mentioned this in your introduction. My challenge was always, how do we get the residents to also understand that as well as these uh, initiatives that they can take, we do still have to have a way or a place to treat the waste as a result at the end of its life. And I'm just curious to know what your experience of that sort of thing is in terms of, you know, the development of infrastructure and location of sites for management. Okay, so I don't have responsibility for for planning at all, but I do have 
the responsibility for sustainability. So I can input into planning decisions so that um, we don't have a borough local plan approved yet. So I have just helped with the head of planning to put a sustainability and energy efficiency um, document together. And, and then there will be a planning SPD that has sustainability and biodiversity built into it when the borough local plan is approved. But we work very closely together. Unfortunately, our head of planning is wild about sustainability and biodiversity. But what we do is we try and work as closely as possible with all of our um, developers and having them involved initially in doing the strategy work was great. And because Maidenhead and Winter are quite key, and they care about the work that they do. You can say, you know, you need to make sure that you have the right bins and the right space for, for bins, for waste, when you, when you build your kitchens. You know, you can't just have one t- teeny little section for that. You've got to split them. You know, we're even thinking about what the bathroom should look like in terms of bathroom waste, because when you think of the amount of plastic that goes into just one single bin along with anything else that goes into a bathroom, waste bin. No, we have to be really careful with that type of waste. So I just think they seem to be tiny decisions, but they're huge when you multiply by 154,000 people who live in one borough and then by 343 different local authorities and then by the world. But, you know, it's just it's, it's one person at a time. And that's, and that's the issue. And and this is, in a way, what the Green Skills Library that a couple of us have just got together to do. And I've mentioned it, it comes back to the disliking intellectual waste. And again, loops back to my social anthropology days, where I studied and, and learned first about permaculture. Somewhere in the world, someone knows how to do something. So, you know, I'd studied tribes who were already realizing that you don't grow just one crop, because if you grow several crops... They keep each other healthy. If you put wild seeds down next to other plants, you know, you will benefit the butterflies and the bees and they will keep other plants healthy. And so you just need to go into a school and give the kids some seeds and they will go home and tell their parents about it and start something quite magnificent. And when we look at the number of households that we've got, who've got gardens or kids who've got windowsills, (laughs) that's pretty much everyone. No, there's no end to what we can do. And um, I mean, that's for me the joy of being in a local authority is that you are elected by your residents. And so, you know, I've got 5,000 residents in my borough that I can talk to just by reaching out to them. And we all have. And in the, that borough are schools and parents. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a wonderful job. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I'd like to maybe explore a bit more the other W in the the wise women in ways, the, the women part, and really your yeah. experience maybe mentoring women, advice for women, because we're trying to share that as well. And I think you're also doing a special event at the COP26 that includes sustainable women or women in sustainability. Yeah. So when I did my MBA, I was one of three women and in the crowd of 76 of us and I have two girls a stepdaughter who's a psychiatrist and my daughter who's extraordinary who works for the RHS and yeah I've got some amazing women in my life but we've never really I think thought of us as any different from men really 
I have a great friend called Alison who has started a business years ago called Make It Your Business. And she's an entrepreneur and it's for entrepreneurial women. And so at COP this year at Glasgow Library, we have an event. She's a, a patron of libraries and we are running an event that's for women in sustainability. And we've got four very special women who are uh, t- telling their story in sustainability and uh, yeah, just celebrating them and the work that they do. One is Joe Hand, who started Geeky Zero, which is the most phenomenal app for anyone who wants to reduce their carbon footprint. And you should go on and, and challenge yourself. It is just so tempting. You try and see if you can get to 100. And um, I'm only at 500. But, um, the better you are, if you have a heat pump, recycle everything, uh, you never travel. <laughs> <laughs> you can get your carbon footprint to pretty much nothing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, but it's pretty awesome. And it teaches you as you work through it how to reduce your carbon footprint. So it's very, very innovative. And we've got three other women who are amazing. I'm the trustee of Heal Rewilding and our founder, Jan Standard, is going to be on it, as well as uh, Yawanda Aquino Makanola, who is a Innovate UK ambassador, and she's amazing. But um, yeah, we're really looking forward to COP. And I've also got a group of kids going up um, who are doing some really exciting projects because we've formed something called the Berkshire Schools Eco Network with children who are just passionate about sustainability and the environment and just really in a positive way, doing some amazing things. One of them is trying to, um, or not trying, but he's succeeding in putting some solar panels on school roof and doing the same on a roof in a Southern African school. And I mean, that's his fundraising to do that. And he's just at school. So that's amazing. It sounds like a fabulous um, opportunity for people if there is a way for them to get involved in this or for a, a way to receive information afterwards. I think some of our listeners would be really interested to hear about this. We have actually had some feedback since uh, we launched the first three of these series, actually, from, from people telling us how inspiring they found it and how they want to get connected into what's going on and, and asking about how they can go on to forums and, and learn more from women and also from other leading experts in waste. So great to see that there's so much going on. We ourselves are also, as Anthesis, hoping to be able to support a number of initiatives at COP as well. So maybe in our subsequent sessions, we'll be able to share some of that with our listeners too. Just very briefly, Donna, yesterday, you were reading, as we were preparing for this, you were reading from a very inspirational piece, a female author, about a sort of look back on today from the future. And I wondered if you still had that quote I would be delighted. It's a plug for the RHS by the fabulous author Sally Nix, who has just written a book called How to Garden the Low Carbon Way. And it is an awesome book. I I encourage you to buy it. But she said, and it's called 2041, Looking Back from the Future. And she says, can you believe we actually used water? We used to water plants with treated drinking water like sloshing champagne over your seedlings. Crazy days. (laughs) So I think we will start to treat our water the way we should probably be treating our natural capital. Instead, we treat our other capital, like ships and um, buildings, with far too much um, tenderness when it's our natural capital that we should be treating with much more tenderness. Uh, You know, the carbon sinks of our trees and our water And I think we should be treating those with a lot more care. But she's spot on. (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought that was a really strong and poignant point. And I just thought it'd be lovely to finish our podcast today on that point. I think it, it, it's a really interesting perspective. And I'm really encouraged by the conversation we've had today about some of these grassroots initiatives, and particularly about how they're appealing to the next generation, and how maybe consumerism for the future will be very different. So it's been wonderful to have you. Unfortunately, we've already reached the end of our session. And so we must stop our discussion here, although I feel like we could talk about these things and many other aspects of your day-to-day roles that you're involved in probably for a lot longer but thank you so much for joining us it's been a delight to have you and we look forward to hearing about how your event in COP goes. Well I hope to see you there Debbie and I just want to thank you for the years we've known each other and the interactions that we've had along the way and I look forward to many more and um, so lovely also to get in touch with all of you and Claudia I look forward to future meetings with you. (laughs) All right take care thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Donna. And if our listeners have any comments or questions about anything you have heard today, please get in touch via the Anthesis Group website, email us or reach out on LinkedIn. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.